This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv an unmatched dual threat. An immortal, a showstopper. Partners with a mutual respect. Shattered by betrayal, the legend, the icon, for the first time ever, Hulk Hogan, Shawn Michaels, one on one. SummerSlam, live Sunday, August 21st, only on pay-per-view. Immortality has a price. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time! Oh, no. Oh, yeah! I finished these fights. Give me a hell yeah! Top Rope Nation. Learn to love it! It's the best thing going today. Hope everyone had a great weekend. We're here with episode 164 of Top Rope Nation. We're going retro on you today. It doesn't really feel that retro to me, but I guess it has been 15 years ago. We're coming up on the 15-year anniversary of kind of a legendary match, Hulk Hogan and Shawn Michaels at SummerSlam 2005 in Washington, D.C. We thought we would kind of... Go back, examine that match, you know, with 15 years of time, uh, space after it now. Look at the controversy that there was at the time and just kind of some of the history between Shawn Michaels and Hulk Hogan. Because this is kind of a kind of a infamous match for mem- many, many different reasons in the wrestling industry, which we're going to get into today. But before I do, I got to say, we got the three musketeers back on the line. Justin hey. Joint. Justin Joint, we missed you on Thursday's show. You're back. I got Kyle on the lines. So all three of us, we're here. The band is back together. Justin, what's going on? Uh, well, it's good to be back, but uh, I don't know if it's going to last. I mean, I've got some bad news uh, for our listeners. So I guess I'll start off by saying uh, not all heroes wear capes. I've recently stumbled upon some information that could uh, greatly damage and destroy the reputation of Top Rope Nation. Uh, despite the potential dangers it could bring upon myself and my family, I've decided to share this information to the public. 
Uh, so like all great whistleblowers before me, it's Uh-oh. time to bring the darkness oh, no. to the light. Kyle Ross and Ryan Drosty put the sticker label on the case <laughs> and not the actual VHS. <laughs> what well, is I that? For sure. <laughs> Kyle sent out a, a picture yesterday in our group text. Uh, he was reorganizing his office and he had a box of VHS tapes down there. And I zoomed in and I saw that. His VHS tapes had the sticker label on the box rather than the tape itself, which is how I always did it back in my tape trading days. And so I was very happy to see that. But then, Kyle, you actually kind of shifted that around and said maybe that you didn't actually do that. Well, no, because those tapes that you saw were from RF video. So I really don't want to talk about who may have been sticking on what with those tapes. But those were not tapes that I put together. I think I, because I looked at some other tapes, I was like, oh, wait a minute. I just put it normally on the tape like Justin was saying. So I'm kind of in between. I, I'm the uh, moderate, I suppose, in that situation. I don't know why I did that. That was always a quirk of mine. I always in my tape trading days. That's how I did it. But uh, speaking of tape trading, you guys, you should check out the Tony Khan interview. I don't know if either of you saw it yet that he did with the Major Wrestling Figure podcast on their YouTube channel. It's pretty interesting. Like he talks about growing up a fan, doing tape trading and all of that. And uh, Kyle, you remember John McAdam? Yeah, I bought several tapes off him. Yeah. So apparently Tony Khan did the website for him. That blew I my heard, mind when I heard that. What did he? What I haven't listened to the podcast yet. Full disclosure. What did he do for him? Because I loved the catalog and the descriptions. I remember when I first discovered it, I just could not stop reading it, and I was like, yeah. I want to buy everything. Exactly. You know, he talks exactly about that on how he would always browse the website, and because the descriptions were funny for the matches and informative and stuff, and then apparently he just kind of got to know him, and um, he started doing some of the HTML coding for the website for him, and got tapes in return. I'm wow. thinking like I knew I, I'm pretty sure that you had talked about John McAdam before, but he was like a legendary tape trader in the late 90s and uh, and, and before that as well. But to hear Tony Khan, who's running the second largest North American promotion now, talk about that, that that was like full circle to think about going to that website 20 years ago. So I don't know. I, th- I found it really interesting. If, if you guys were ever into tape trading, or if you want to know just a little bit more of uh, Tony Khan's history as a fan check that out but um like i said we're gonna be talking about hogan and Shawn michaels and uh people's opinions on this match i was just texting a friend of mine here a second ago pretty negative on the match we're gonna talk about some good stuff some bad stuff but before we do i do want to mention of course we are members of the blue wire podcasting network as you heard at the top of the program make sure to head on over to bluewirepods.com check out the whole catalog of shows we've got sports shows on every major sport including other pro wrestling shows such as our friends the two jabronis wrestling podcast as well as fight game media and of course chris van vliet we're all members of the blue wire family if you like that if you like basketball if you like football movies they have the podcast for you check it out And uh, if you're on a podcasting app listening to us, whether that is Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, wherever podcasts are found, hit subscribe, leave us a review, leave us a rating, especially if you are on Apple Podcasts. That's the one where you can really help us out a lot. Just take a couple of seconds, leave the five-star rating, leave us a written review, and we will read it on the air on our next broadcast. We'd greatly appreciate it. If you want more content from us, if you want bonus content and a free gift, 
head on over to patreon.com slash nation. The link is in the description of the show here, and you can find out how you can become a patron of the show and get bonus content and a free gift in the mail. It's a great way to support the program. We would appreciate your support. So, guys, we're talking SummerSlam 2005. I've got Kyle. one thing to say before we get started. Yes. Ryan, you talk about bands getting back together. I just want to let the listeners know that we will, as a band, collectively practice better social distancing than Fozzie in South Dakota. Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> so what's going on in South Dakota? I don't oh, know, God. man. But what is with South Dakota and the pro wrestling industry? It's never been good there. Hog wild, <laughs> road wild. Yeah. Fozzie so bad. wild. Ugh. I should also mention there was a chance we were going to have the band back together on Thursday's show. Um, my original plan was Kyle and I recorded in the afternoon, and then I was maybe going to record after Dynamite and NXT with uh, Justin. But Kyle and I rambled for a good hour, and we didn't have room for Justin. So sorry about that, Justin. But uh... Shocking. Shocking it went long. <laughs> Glad to have you back for uh, We for called him the ring, brother. Yes, we did. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Justin thought the whole time, like, they're going to go long. There's no way we're going to be recording tonight. Oh, yeah. No, 100%. 100%. <laughs> Pride didn't even prepare. Yes. 100%. I wouldn't have. That's true. I, I, <laughs> Kyle hadn't talked wrestling for like a week. I knew he was. I knew he had some oh, stuff to say. He was bursting at the seams, man. He was ready to go. <laughs> All right. So SummerSlam 05, before we dive into the rivalry, I'm just kind of curious just around the horn. Did you guys watch the show live on pay-per-view in August 2005? And if not, um, you know what, you, what was your first memories of hearing about this match or actually watching it back? I'll go to you first, Kyle. I did watch this show live, and you guys will love this story, I think. I was just getting into podcasting at the time, talking about pro wrestling. I did not do a post-show for SummerSlam 2005, but I'm pretty sure I did one... For the next show, which would have been Unforgiven, our good buddy Liam O'Rourke could probably confirm or deny that since his brain has not been ravaged by drugs like mine. So I, I can't really remember. It was 15 years ago. But I'm positive the next – I'm pretty sure the next month is the first time I ever did a podcast reviewing a WWE pay-per-view. Interesting. I'll have to see if Liam has that in his saved archives. Check that one out. What about you, Justin Joint? I was uh... – kind of 1000% out of wrestling at this time. So I didn't, I didn't even know this was happening. In fact, the only wrestling, uh, that I watched that summer and I guess fall, uh, was my, uh, it was kind of my golden birthday, my 25th birthday on the 25th of September. And, uh, two of my friends ditched me and I was by myself. So I just went and bought, uh, the self-destruction of the ultimate warrior. And that was really my only exposure to pro wrestling, uh, in that time. Such a great DVD. Oh, I know, right? Sounds like a bummer birthday, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wasn't great. But buddies turn on you, and you're left with Jim Helwig. Yeah, well, you know, a little little Mary and uh, some Jim Helwig. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I didn't hear about this till years later, and I think it was on some highlight show or something where they talked about the very finish of it. Uh, in full disclosure, the very first time I've actually watched this match start to finish was today. Oh, we're going to have some fresh takes then, so that might yeah. be a good thing. Yeah, this was we've talked on the show before, Justin. We've known each other for about 20 years, but around this period, we didn't interact a whole lot because the, the part-time job that we had worked at, we were no longer working there. 
Uh, I was working at Best Buy. I was in college, and I remember I would see you once in a while. You would come in there, and we'd maybe chat a little wrestling, but uh, not too often. Uh, I know one of my buddies from Best Buy that I worked with watched the show at my place live on pay-per-view. That's my friend Tim, who does all of our artwork for the podcast. So shout out to Tim. Always does a great job with our logo and t-shirt designs and all of that. Uh, so I know my buddy Tim watches at my house. Uh, pretty sure my friend Mike, who lives in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I think he watches at my house as well. Maybe a couple others too. So we, yeah, I had a, I had a get together. We split the cost of the show. I remember people were pretty excited about this one, and the build I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. I do have to say, and so we thought the way that we would kind of go about talking about this is to kind of just set the stage for, especially for the younger listeners, and why Shawn Michaels and Hulk Hogan had never worked a match together. Because, you know, if you're a newer fan, or even you've been watching them for the last 10 years, you might not understand, you know, why had these two legends never competed in a singles match before. They had been in uh, Royal Rumbles together previously, I don't even know how much their time overlapped in those rumbles, though, to be honest with the offhand. But that was it. That was like the only time they were in a shared match together before you know 05. Wasn't yeah. Michaels, the guy who got tossed right before Hogan and Warrior had their stare down? But, but like we were, la- well, we did yeah, the watch along, we, so we were laughing Patreon. about yeah. it, weren't we? Now that you mentioned that, like, I think War- it's Warrior that chucks him out, but I think he's the, like, he's in and out in 30 seconds and i think he's the last guy to go before warrior turns around and looks at hogan i think you are right now that you say that yeah we did a watch along of that rumble a few months ago on our patreon page it's available over there that i think that sounds right so yeah i mean they had never shared the ring together until 2005 and if you just kind of know and i'm going to go through this but basically the uh the chronology of their careers it just never really lined up you know hogan becomes the WWS main star in 84 when he won the title and then you know he's in he's in WWF from 84 to 93 and his time with Sean obviously overlapped there with the rumbles that we're talking about um Sean and Marty came in as the Rockers in 87 for 2 weeks were fired came back in 88 and uh you know Sean's there from 88 till 98 till when he retires from the back injury um I guess it would have been in 92 that was kind of Sean's coming out year as a single star uh, in December 91 is when the Rockers split up and you know 92 he's in the IC title picture this is when Hogan's kind of on his way out of the company you know his appearances are more sporadic plus you know Hulk Hogan's not going to work a guy in the IC title picture at that point in his career so Hogan's out of WWF in 93 and Sean is on the ascendance to eventually becoming the world champion in 96 so interestingly you know, if you were to go back in time to 1996, 1997, Shawn Michaels versus Hulk Hogan would have been one of the top intra-promotional matches you could dream of between WWF and WCW because Hogan, of course, one of the biggest stars in WCW, and Shawn, I guess, starting in 96, especially when Brett was out, you know, he was the top star for most of 96 in the WWF. So it takes another decade before these guys actually get into the ring together. As I mentioned a second ago, of course, Sean retires in 98 after his match at Mania with Austin because of the back injury. And then Hogan comes back to the company in 2002. And at that point, Sean's out of action. None of us ever thought we'd ever see Shawn Michaels in, in the ring again, actually wrestling. And Hogan had that return in 02. Of course, the match with Rocket Mania. 
And he wrestles in the company until just a couple of weeks before Sean's return to in-ring action at SummerSlam 02 against Triple H. In fact, Hogan's last match was a loss in early August to Brock Lesnar. Love that match. Isn't this like one of the very few times Hogan had ever lost via submission in his career? I think he yeah, but it was the twice. second time he did it that summer because yeah. yeah. he tapped to out angle. to Angle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he had, had very like hardly ever happened in, in Hogan's career. So that was really significant. And after that, you know, he's out, he's gone. And then Sean returns a couple of weeks later, and Sean begins this eight year, you know, second stint with the WWE. And so it's never really lined up. And then Hogan comes back in early 03. Now Sean's in action again. Uh, Hogan works with The Rock at No Way Out, his match with Vince at WrestleMania. And then he spends a few months doing that awful Mr. America stuff. What do you guys remember from that? The lie detector segment is great. Just type in (laughs) Mr. America lie detector segment at YouTube.com, ladies and gentlemen, and you'll have a fun 10 minutes. Yeah. So, again, I mean, he's back. He's doing the Mr. America stuff. Hogan is in WWE. Sean, of course, is now working pretty much full-time again. They're on different brands is the key. Yes, yes. SmackDown for uh, Mr. America was on SmackDown, uh, and Sean was on Raw. And then by the end of the summer, Hogan's out again because he apparently had had a disagreement with Vince over his pay-per-view payoffs. And uh, he wouldn't return to the company for another year and a half. And the WWE brings him back for WrestleMania weekend in 2005. They induct him into the Hall of Fame. The fans, of course, are chanting for one more match. And that's pretty much what leads to his involvement with Sean. Because it's at Backlash 2005, following WrestleMania 21, that Hogan returns after Shawn Michaels pleads and begs for one more match. And he wants... Hulk Hogan to be his tag team partner to take on Davari and Muhammad Hassan in a tag team match at Backlash 05. That's a tag team match in 2005, isn't it? Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) And after that, the two of them tag a few more times uh, over the next couple. They were essentially tagging like once a month uh, until we get to July and August. And then there's the split. And what happens is... uh, Hogan and Sean, who would they just beat? I think it's Carlito and Angle. That's right. Yeah. I think Again, that's right. a very tag team, a very 2005 tag team match. It was, yeah, Carlito and Angle on the July 4th, 05 Raw broadcast. And after the match, Hogan and Sean are, you know, they're going to do the pose down together. And Hogan turns around and Sean has a super kick for, for him. And there's this iconic moment where Hogan is laid out on the canvas and Sean just stands over the top of him and just stares at him with no emotion. That that shot was excellent. They replicated that. They had, you know, photographs of that and the website, the magazines. It was a great image and then that's what they used to kind of build toward the SummerSlam match the the following month. And so with all of that said, I mean, that's kind of the stage. That's how we get to the match itself. It's it's Sean being a heel for the first time since he returned in 2002. And really the only time he worked heel during that second run with WWE. So, Kyle, did you want to talk about the take that uh, our friend Dave Meltzer had on this? Yeah, so I think this is an excellent synopsis of what went down at SummerSlam 2005. It is from the September 3rd, 2012 Wrestling Observer Newsletter, where Dave did a history piece on SummerSlam. And this is what he had to say about the event uh, seven years later. 
What ended up being the second most purchased SummerSlam of all time was on August 21st, 2005 from the MCI Center in Washington, D.C., and it was all about the first and only singles match with Hogan versus Michaels. The show did 640,000 buys with a match that told more of a story outside the ring. This was a battle of egos and the affection of Vince McMahon. How lovely. Michaels did promos <laughs> about how he wasn't going to do the job, but in physical angles, sold like crazy. In the end, neither wanted to lose. Hogan had a creative control clause in his contract, and he was refusing to lose. Michaels was trying to manipulate that they do a two-match series. He could win the first, but he'd lose the second. It was Michaels who originally asked to do the program, but then did not want to lose. Remember that, folks. He requested losing via DQ when Hogan made it clear he wasn't losing. Hogan, with his creative control, said there was only one finish, and it was non-negotiable, which was a leg drop. Michael still tried to get a heel win first. He'd put over Hogan clean in a cage match the next month on pay-per-view. This is outstanding coming up. Hogan said if Michaels did the leg drop finish in the first match, in the rematch, in a cage, they could do a photo finish. Hogan would go through the door. Michaels would go over the top. They would land at the same time, making it appear to be a tie. But even then, Hogan would still be declared the winner. McMahon told Michaels he couldn't back out of the match, and there was no negotiating the first match finish because Hogan refused any other finish. Michaels did the leg drop finish, but over-exaggerated bumps throughout the match to make it look completely silly. That's kind of what a lot of people remember. It was one of the more entertaining Hogan matches of the past decade, says Dave, because even when Michaels is making fun of his opponent in a match, he's that good. Then, the next day on television, and we'll talk about this too on this show, uh, Michaels made more fun of the match, basically saying Hogan was so athletically superior he couldn't compete at that level, mocked the entire match, and all but told everyone it was a fake match. He also said Hogan was going home and not doing the rematch on the next show, and that Hogan would only come back to WWE for the money. And we're going to get into the following as well. Just a little teaser, folks. lot to unpack here. Another reason this show did so well. Remember, 650,000 buys, or 640,000, I should say. Second most bought Summer 7 history. On the final TV, I know you guys remembered it because we all watched the promo. They teased like crazy Bret Hart was going to show up. Even though there was no deal in place, they strongly hinted he'd come out. And Hart, having been gone for eight years... His return was perhaps the biggest thing possible in WWE at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they had just announced in WWE.com, I think a few days before that Raw in Montreal, that Brett had agreed to do the DVD, as I yes. recall. Yes, oh, you've done your homework. I, I did not remember that until doing my research for this show. Yeah, yeah, so that... Because of that, people knew he was involved with the company again. And so although there had been stuff over the years, you know, like every time they went to Montreal, people were like hoping Brett would show up and, of course, Calgary and stuff. But it really was never realistic until the summer of 05 when he actually had agreed to do this DVD. And there was a picture of him, as I recall, on WWE.com, like at Stamford working on the DVD project. And uh, I think they even posted a picture of Brett and Vince shaking hands. Yes. So, like, we knew he was involved again. And so, yeah, they strongly hinted that maybe he could get involved here. Yeah, yeah I think the key is we weren't all a bunch of whack jobs in 2005 just inventing this out. <laughs> there, there was some smoke to the fire. It was, was it realistic for him to show up? No. Was it a good idea to tease that and not deliver? Maybe we could talk about that later. But... There was a real curiosity that he might show up, especially based on the promo we're going to talk about that yes. Michael's cut in Montreal. Yeah. 
So I think that's a that's a that's a good setting the stage for all of this. Uh, before we go any further, I do want to call attention to our good friends, our sponsors, and we have a new one, guys. So oh. let's hear let's hear a word from Deal Dash and our brand new sponsors over at NFL Sunday Ticket. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone Channel and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. You can use, wait for it, promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. That's right. No more calling DirecTV and trying to haggle with them over getting a discount on Sunday ticket. You can get 15% off easy enough. Just go to NFLSundayTicket.tv. Use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. You'll get 15% off your subscription for this season check it out have you ever heard of dealdash.com it's the best most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe they have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics appliances beauty products home decor and even cars here's how it works it's like an auction but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, Deal Dash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon signup on top of their other discounts. Go to dealdash.com Use offer code TOPROPE or deal-fm slash TOPROPE. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M slash TOPROPE. Kyle, you just read a good synopsis of what was going on behind the scenes. So what do we think here? Uh, Sean, Hogan, neither of them wanting to job uh, who do we think was in the right? Who do we think was in the wrong? It's interesting you noted that it was Sean's idea to do the match. I didn't realize that until you just said that. Uh, and I've, I don't know, kind of watching this back, I I felt a little bit differently, I think. I think at the time I was a little bit more on Sean's side. But, you know, this is interesting because there's kind of a parallel to Montreal where the guy he's wrestling has creative control and doesn't want to lose to him. <laughs> So, I don't. What, what do you think about this, Justin? Uh, I'm. I understand story wise, if it's a one off, why you just have Hogan win clean. Um, you know, I would have preferred to have seen two matches. Like I like Sean's original idea a little bit better, outside of the stupid photo finish. Um. So, so what Work for I Paul don't. <laughs> So what I don't understand, and maybe you guys can help me figure this out, is Hogan, you know, he'd lost numerous times since his return to WWE. We already mentioned he, he even tapped out twice. Why, do, why does he have to refuse so strongly 
losing to Shawn Michaels here. I just, that, that has to be a personality backstage thing where he just must not like him. Okay. The feeling was, and correct me if I'm wrong here, either of you, when he left in 02, a lot of it was he thought he was losing too much. Because remember, he had put over Rock, he'd put yeah. over Angle, he'd put over Lesnar. And they wanted him to leave and come back to do a rematch at Survivor Series with Lesnar, which Hogan assumed he would win. And Vince said, no, you're not going to win. Yeah, And I that, that led yeah. to him leaving for a long time and not coming back till he did the uh, Vince feud. So I think that's why Hogan, when he initially came back, he knew he had to be a good soldier. He didn't have that political clout coming back from WCW and, you know, the losing side of that. But I think he was back to same old Hogan protecting his brand in 2005. And I guess that, and that's what really annoys me is that he just has zero awareness as to where he was at in his career. Um, but, you know, and I was about to say, and maybe what the fans want, but I think what the fans probably wanted then was a, uh, especially from the crowd response, was a Hogan wins. It's yeah. W- one thing that's important here is WWE gave him the creative control. It's not like Hogan just made it up and said, mm. I have creative control because I'm Hulk Hogan. That was in the deal that WWE agreed to. So it's fascinating to me that Sean asks for this match and then thinks because, look, look at the history of Shawn Michaels. You mentioned it, Ryan, earlier, Montreal. Sean always outmaneuvers everybody. Did he think he was going to be able to outmaneuver Hogan somehow? It obviously <laughs> didn't happen, and I'm going to be quite blunt. This is going to frame the rest of the discussion, at least on my end for this podcast. If there are two people in the history of wrestling that deserve to be outmaneuvered politically by Hulk Hogan, Shawn Michaels is definitely one of them. <laughs> and nobody outmaneuvers the Hulkster brother. No. The other guy, <laughs> ironically, a friend of Sean, was not on SummerSlam 2005. Yeah. That's Triple H. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's funny because, like, this match, you know, at least to me personally, kind of encapsulates both these guys' careers pretty nicely. You know, it it definitely showcases, you know, their next level charisma. Uh, and that, but also the behind the scenes ego that negatively affects a lot of the on screen product. You know, you got hmm. Hogan putting himself over the story or a potential story that they could have had, you know, i.e., Starcade 97. Uh, but you also have HBK acting like kind of a selfish, petulant child because things don't go his the way he wants, you know, i.e., the numerous times he forfeited a championship instead of actually dropping it to somebody. Yeah. No, it's it's a fascinating match for all of these reasons because of the behind the scenes stuff because of just the, the the character flaws that each man has uh the fact that Sean gets a pretty good match out of Hogan it's this is what we're talking about it's it's very fascinating go ahead and there is a key thing that Justin went back to and, and Meltzer touched on in the thing is the idea of a two match series i am not convinced that this would have done great business a second time around. Would it have done better business than your standard 2005 WWE B-Show pay-per-view? Maybe. Probably. But I think this dynamic, what's so appealing is the idea it's just a one-off. It's going to happen one time. It's a dream match. One guy wins. That's it. Yeah. Well, you know, at, for at me... A big pay-per-view. SummerSlam. Yeah. For me, one of the big reasons why I, I would have liked to have had more 
was, you know, you got, you've mentioned it already is that this was Shawn Michaels only heel run on his, mm-hmm. you know, on his, on his return. And for me rewatching it, rewatching that the, the promo in Montreal in the uh, promo after SummerSlam, it's like, that's the best part. You know, that was my biggest takeaway is man. I wish we would have gotten more heel Michaels. Yeah, let's talk about that, because I always kind of felt like in the second run of Shawn Michaels, I loved getting the second chance to watch him. He's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. But I always kind of felt like his character was kind of lame throughout. You know, he was always just this kind of goody two shoes, baby face, doing the praying thing when he comes out. Not to offend any of our religious listeners, but we love religion. <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't the same as the Sean of the nineties. He didn't have any of that edge which made him so God charismatic. Is a patri- God is a Patreon subscriber of this show, just for the record. Oh no. <laughs> but you guys know what I mean. Like he was so edgy in the nineties. Of course he started yes. DX. You know, we didn't have yeah. any of that. He was still a great worker, but character wise, I always felt he was kind of lacking and when you see him work heel going into this match, it's like right out of the 90s again. Like he hits it out of the park. He's so fun to watch. That promo six days before the match in Montreal might be my favorite promo in the history of Monday Night Raw. I'm just laying it out there. It's up there. It's up there with like the pipe bomb to me. I it is. I watched it again this morning. That is so entertaining. The way that Sean controls that crowd in Montreal and heals it up. If you guys have not seen this, you need to immediately watch it. It's like the I think August 15th, 2005 yes. Raw. This is the first segment of the show. If I recall, it might have been the first time. Was this the first time Sean had even been in Montreal since the screw job on a WWE show? I think so. I think they were very careful to not have him work the times they went to Montreal before. It's because that No Way Out pay-per-view mentioned where Hogan came back and worked Rock, and it's a horrible match the second time around. Mm. He wasn't on that show. I think it was yeah. also... And that that, would, they, that wasn't a brand-only show. They were still doing dual-branded pay-per-views because he wasn't working a full-time schedule really yet either. Yeah. Sean. So, yeah, I, I know he had worked Canada, and they always gave him shit, but I don't know if he'd been in Montreal. They certainly didn't embrace the history like they did there yeah and so i mean anytime wwe was in montreal and really anywhere in canada but especially montreal after 97 survivor series earl hebner and of course (laughs) vince but earl hebner man he would get it from the crowd you screwed brett chance constantly and so i mean they were just busting at the seams to go after sean and he walks out at the beginning of the show and this crowd is electric screaming you screwed brett Middle fingers everywhere. We want Brett. Like we mentioned, this is right after Brett has agreed to do the uh, the DVD thing with WWE. And, you know, he tries to kind of ignore it at the beginning. <laughs> and he, then he goes down down the rabbit hole with the Bret Hart Survivor Series stuff. And uh, he the, the, the big highlight is when he teases that Brett's going to come out and Brett's theme song and Titan Tron come on. And Sean, like, acts like he's scared for a little bit. And then starts laughing, and I think he yells out, got your hopes up just a little bit. <laughs> and Jared's like, damn it. <laughs> In fact, hey, let's just go to some clips right now. Let me cut together some clips, and you guys can hear some of this, because it is just great, great stuff. Hello, 
is your daddy, Montreal? So do you know what makes this promo so great? It's not just Sean's mic work. It's that you have a crowd that legitimately hates the man. This isn't, you know, 
people in the crowd scratching their chins. Oh, what fantastic heel work this is. This is a great heel. This is a crowd that wants to like, you know, jump in the ring and see or see someone else come down and beat this man up. Yes. You you don't get that kind of visceral hatred necessarily in pro wrestling in 2020, at least not very often. Mm-mm. Yeah. So, Justin, had you seen this before you went back and watched this? No, no. Um, watched it for the first time uh, today and freaking loved it. I thought it was amazing. <laughs> Even just like like the, the, the really small stuff uh, that not a lot of guys do. But like when, you know, it was just a few minutes into it when it was obvious that the, you know, he was letting the crowd, you know, you know, for lack of a better term, get their shit in. And at, at one point he turns to the camera and he motions like, this is going to go long. Yeah. Is, is that kind of like, you know, uh, wall breaking stuff that is, Sean is just like head, head above the rest. Oh, he's so good. So good. And that, then he teases that part where he teases Hogan coming out and then he busts in because Hogan actually was on the show, but you, he wasn't there yet, as Sean says. But uh, he just like falls to the, the mat laughing into the microphone. That's hilarious. I Oh, man, I love this segment. And then the whole thing where he's like, if Bret Hart was here right now, <laughs> there is this like audible gasp you can hear from the crowd. They're like, oh, my God, Bret yeah. Hart's going to show up in a matter of minutes. And then when that music hits, you really have to just watch this to gain an appreciation, folks. Yeah. Sean's facial reaction when that music hits is so awesome. And it was so organically done. Like It wasn't like he took a dramatic pause in the promo to let the music hit he was still talking and then the music kicks on and i mean the place just loses it as they as the listeners just heard mm-hmm. yeah so sean as a heel is just like next level and and to justin's point it, it is kind of disappointing we didn't get more of this in the the first 10 the first 10 years of the 2000s you know it was uh I, I think, as I recall, Sean didn't really want to work heel. Correct. During that second run. But, man, he still had it. And you see it here in the build of this match, and especially in Montreal. It's If you haven't seen it, it's must-watch stuff. So should we talk about the actual match now? I think it's what we came to podcast about. Yes. So, like I said, it's in D.C. Uh, sellout crowd, of course, second biggest pay-per-view of, of the year. It's... Uh, Man, it's the main event. This is this is the pay-per-view poster. It's Sean and Hogan's face on the poster. It's the legend versus the icon as they promote it. And yeah, I mean, Sean works heel, like we mentioned a little bit. He he works a little bit over the top, although I think on the second watch, I it wasn't as much as I had remembered in my head. Certainly when he takes the big boot at the end and he yeah. you know, bumps all over the place, it's over the top. And there's a, a little bit throughout when he's taking falls, but it's not like as bad as I thought. Everyone called it pretty unprofessional at the time. But when you when you watch it back, I don't know, maybe we've just been kind of desensitized to this kind of thing over the last decade, but it uh I didn't I didn't find it to be as egregious as I remembered it from the time. Did you have a similar reaction, Kyle? Yeah. Other than him bouncing and flailing around after the big boot. It's really not that much different from the way Hulk worked with Kurt Henning. Oh, dude, that's the exact same thing I thought. What you know, watching it like it was all uh, slightly exaggerated and cartoonish, and it kind of felt like a a throwback to rock and wrestling days. Um, but that is exactly what I thought. It's like mid match, I'm thinking, it's like, oh, this is what a perfect Hogan main event match would have looked like if you know they'd actually pushed uh, Henning in that '89 time frame. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because he would do things where Hogan would punch him and he would, you know, do a somersault in the air off of it. And that really was no different than how Michaels was selling for a majority of this match. I, I had the same exact impression with you. I was kind of stunned when I watched it back. I was like, is this overplayed? The whole Michaels overselling and being unprofessional? I mean, to be honest, I, I thought his this isn't even a top three unprofessional Shawn Michaels behavior <laughs> match, I think. I mean, yeah. the Vader deal is way worse. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's like just business exposing, just like yelling at a guy in the real match. What the fuck are you doing? Like, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, that's worse than this. Mm-hmm. Well, I, in, I, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to, I want to throw this to both of you guys. Justin, you can go first. If you didn't know the political gamesmanship being played behind the scenes, would you would the overselling or the alleged overselling even register with you? Um, there, <clears throat> obviously the end, yes. Uh, but there is also uh, either in the middle or towards the beginning when he's—I can't remember if he's kicked or thrown to the outside—and he does kind of a little extra couple of rolls in there that that are really over the top. So that could have been an indicator. But outside of those two, no. Uh, and frankly, and, and for the big picture of it is frankly, it makes the, the match memorable. It makes it better. Like I, I, I prefer to have that than if he hadn't have done it. Yeah. I think really, yeah, for me, the ones that Justin mentioned, especially the ending that would stand out if you didn't know, but otherwise, I mean, it's wrestling. Wrestling's always kind of silly and goofy and <laughs> yeah, I think we've seen stuff like this over the years. It wasn't something like out of nowhere. So I don't know if I had this remembrance of the match. Be, maybe I was thinking more, you know, about what happens on Raw the following night, which we're going to get into uh, as the unprofessional part. But like the match itself, really didn't have that feel as I recalled, and I I probably hadn't seen this match in over a decade. But no, I don't. Outside of the finish, I don't really, I don't really get that takeaway from it this time around. Two other things, and it's funny we all talk about. You know, Michaels being maybe a little unprofessional. Match. How about the receipt from Hulk Hogan right after the big boot where he grandstands for like 30 <laughs> seconds before dropping the leg? He does like you the know, ear cupping stuff. He does yeah. the ear cup to all. He did, So Michaels does the ridiculous <laughs> flipping and flopping. Hogan, I think, picks up on it. I think he realizes what Michael's doing is trying to make him look bad. So Hulk, God bless his soul, goes, oh, yeah, watch this. Yeah, cups his hand to his ear in all four corners, takes his sweet time, and drops the leg, and then gets the one, two, three. Hunter Hearst Helmsley doing the pedigree on Booker T at WrestleMania 19, followed by, followed by him reading War and Peace, thinks that was a <laughs> long time between, you know. The finisher. This is two of the great politicians in wrestling history going at it here. It's fascinating stuff. Also, I got to say, did Hulk Hogan bleed more than Steve Austin at Mania 13 in this match? Because, my God, his blood is all over the ring. There's those visuals of where Sean puts him in the headlock, and, like, Sean's entire arm is just covered in Hulk's blood. I mean, this is a really bad blade job by Hulk Hogan. He he hit that forehead deep, man. It's it's also very obvious when he does the blade. <laughs> when you watch it, I thought. Yeah, but, he kind of, that was always a <laughs> thing he did. He, he didn't yeah. hide it well whenever he bladed. But man, I I don't I knew it was a bloody match, but I didn't remember just how bloody. I'm I'm telling you, I was I was comparing in my mind like what happened at Mania 13 with Austin. We always think the the bloodiest matches in WWE history. Man, this is up there. I mean, the visuals, like I said, is Sean's arm just covered, and oh man, it's it's quite the quite the blade job. 
and they continued to milk the Bret Hart stuff in the yes. middle of this match. So there was a spot where the ref gets knocked out. Crowd looks to the back. HBK puts the sharpshooter on. And at that point, you know, watching it live, I remember thinking, I was like, oh, man, they're really leaning into this. Is Brett going to show up? Because you have to remember in 2005, while there had been instances of teasing things that didn't happen, that was the exception, not the rule. Generally speaking, you know, at this time and, and certainly for all the years before, you didn't tease things that you weren't going to deliver. And we can maybe talk about that if this was a bad idea to tease Brett knowing you weren't going to deliver. But, you know, the crowd bought it. And um, the only other thing I'd say about this match is that Jonathan Coachman's commentary was atrocious. He was real bad. He was fucking awful, man. (laughs) That sharpshooter, by the way, too, is very bad. Um, Hulk had, like, no mobility in his legs to to actually (laughs) do the move. Like, he had a fake hip at this point, and both of his knees are bad, and he can barely, like, bend his knees. It is real bad stuff. That's not on Sean. Like, well, Sean actually doesn't even put it on right, like, the way he hooks the legs. But then when he tries to sit back on it, you can tell Hulk can't, just can't do it, and it looks really awkward. <laughs> but so, overall, I gotta say it's it's a good match. It's uh, I think Justin, you threw this out in our group text earlier, asking where this would rank in Hulk's best matches, and uh, I, you know I pulled up the Hulk Hogan Observer ratings on Cage Match right now. I'm looking at it as his top graded Observer matches in in his career, and this is in the top ten. And when you look at his later work, I mean, Hogan Flair at Havoc 94 is his top graded match of all time by Dave Meltzer. And then it's mostly stuff from the 80s, like late 80s, mid 80s. And then you get to 05 Hogan Sean. So certainly like I'd say post 90 outside of the 94 match with Flair, it's it's got to be his best match right up there. Do you guys have any else, any others that would stand out? Hmm. I think uh, there's I think the Bash at the Beach Hogan Flair match is rated pretty close. Ninety four. There's yeah, a ninety five Hogan Vader match that's up there. Yeah, I don't really think there was. I mean, you're right. Post like him losing to Warrior, there just weren't a lot. I mean, there was there's the Desert Storm match against Slaughter at MSG is pretty good. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there's just a huge... I mean, nothing in WCW. Yeah. Once he turned heel, was good. Of course, Mania 18, which Meltzer actually rated the Michaels match higher than the Rock match. I would put the Rock match higher just because it's just such a, you know, iconic moment in type type situation and and the crowd there, too. I would say that's a better match. But outside of that, I mean, this is I won't argue with that point, yeah. Outside of that, this is probably... Post-94, for sure, is best match, and maybe post-90. You know, the the other amazing thing while watching this, of which I thoroughly enjoyed this match, uh, compared to, like, wrestling of the past decade, I I would say 75% of this match is just punches and chops. Like, there's basically, not that that's, you know, breaking news for a Hulk Hogan match, but there is just not much... You know, as far as wrestling maneuvers go in this. No. It's a lot of Shawn Michaels selling. <laughs> well, yeah, but it speaks to something, what Justin just said. That when you have a big match like this, you've done a lot of the work beforehand. You don't need to make up for it with 
to quote Dave Meltzer, hot moves. You know, we're used to that now because the creative's so lousy. So when the two guys get in the ring, they've got to overcompensate by having this uber-athletic match. If your creative's sticking and you've got the crowd already where you need them to be at the start of the match, you don't need to do a bunch of crazy moves. And obviously, Hulk was incapable of doing so in 2005 anyway, so it's a moot point. But kind of what Justin was saying there, this had a big match feel to it at the start, like a buzz in the crowd that very few matches have today. Yeah, just listen to that crowd. There's your point right there. They don't have to have that type of a match because the crowd is completely invested and they go nuts for like everything in the match. I do have to mention one more thing about this Jonathan Coachman because I noted this. So he was so bad. Like every time he talked, I was just like, oh, God, just shut up. And there was this one point where Lawler and JR were going over Hogan and Michael's biggest matches and the they were going to Hogan, and they were mentioning the obvious ones, like the Andre thing. And there's kind of this awkward silence, and the coach goes, how about Hogan, John Stud, And Lawler and JR just completely know something. Like, yeah, no, that, that wasn't a good one. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, that's bad. Like, like yeah. Coach thought he was so cool because he was dropping a big John Stud yeah. reference in SummerSlam 2005, and he got no love for this commentary partners. Boy, they're never going to expect this one coming. <laughs> yeah, and for the record, Hulk Hogan big John Stud matches uh, were not good. Yeah, those are not up here on the uh, Observer no. Star ratings. <laughs> no. Not seeing those. So should we talk about then the next night and the fallout and what happened? Yes. Once again, it's at, at the start. This is in Hampton, Virginia. The very star of the broadcast, just like the week before in Montreal, is Shawn Michaels coming out. And uh, Kyle, you want to take us away on what happens here? Okay, so he cuts this promo where, and, and I mentioned it uh, in the piece from Meltzer, where he basically just disavows the match, <laughs> tells the world it was fake, that Hogan was too athletically superior for him, but he's doing it in this wink-wink, nudge-nudge way. little awkward because it's going over the crowd's head. You could tell, like, the yeah. crowd's like, what? Like, they're like, I want to laugh at this, but I don't know what he's doing. He's just clearly going into business for himself and burying Hogan. And speaking of burying, Chris Masters comes out. The masterpiece, by the way, Master Lock Challenge was great. Do not at me. Okay? It was a great gimmick. <laughs> also had a great a- entrance. Love that entrance. <laughs> great gimmick. Imagine a guy just coming out and putting full Nelsons on people and asking them to get out. It's great stuff. I don't care what you say. Anybody. Very good. Well, Michaels buries him. Now, it's not as bad as a few years later when Triple H uh, said to Chris Masters, looks like you've lost 50 pounds in three months, which was the real professional. Jesus. Okay, that was a real class thing to say on television. I think it was a tribute to the troops, too, for God's sake. <laughs> Getting over that young talent. Yeah. Um, I could be wrong on that tribute for the troops. I remember it for some reason being in there, but... Um, yeah, Michaels just kind of like rips Chris Masters, and he turns back babyface in the process. So, you know, I think all three of us are in agreement that we loved Sean going back to the dark side a little bit in this feud. I think we all liked him better as a heel in the 90s. I know I certainly did. The DX run is his peak. But it's gone. Just like that, he just turns back. He's like, all right, folks, that feud's over, and I'm back to a babyface. It's almost like he's telling the crowd what you saw last night and the last couple weeks didn't happen uh, now let's rejoin the regularly scheduled program. Yeah, I think I guess the end of the heel Sean was when they shook hands afterwards, and he he says to him, "I just had to know," 
Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be like, so I, I kind of acted like an asshole for the last couple of weeks because I had to have this match. You beat me. I'm a baby face again. Which, Justin, you mentioned too, and this is this is an interesting point. When they shake hands at that moment at SummerSlam, a lot more is said than that. Mm-hmm. And you wonder what Sean was actually saying to Hogan. If, especially when you try to read the match. reactions out of him. Yeah, they, they were certainly not congratulating each other. There's, I think more than any other, you know, post-match conversation, that's the one I want mic'd up. Yes, 100% agree. Because <laughs> yeah. I would love to know what was actually said there, because I think he was maybe going after him a little bit. But yeah. uh, And Hulk was yeah. saying stuff, too. I think, you know, yes. you know yes. I, think Hulk's like, I think Hulk was like, hey, you, you know, you want to try to bump like that for me? I showed you, pal. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean... I guess if you want to look at any part of this being unprofessional, I guess probably point to the Raw the next night and that promo before he turns to his new rival, Chris Masters. It, so, and I you know, think they the, do have a match at Unforgiven. Yes. For any other comic book nerds, it felt like, the, or Sean treated it like, I think Marvel had the What If comic that kind of took place outside their normal storylines. And I think DC had like an Elseworlds. Uh, it just, it, it didn't actually happen, but it was just kind of, another story and that's how sean treated this Mm -hmm. pretty much so they would never share the ring again this is the one time SummerSlam 2005 so what do we make of the the overall then the legacy you've got some pay-per-view stats here mr ross yeah so this was the fourth most pay-per-view buys ever for a show headlined by Shawn michaels uh wrestlemania 14 against steve austin did 730,000. WrestleMania 25 against The Undertaker did 960,000 and WrestleMania 26 against The Undertaker the uh, the mat, the career versus streak did 885,000. Now, I know with WrestleMania 25 Michaels and Taker technically did not headline that show. They were not the closing match. However, most going in did consider it the most anticipated match on the show. Mm-hmm. Um and kind of similar to that point while they did headline in Mania 26, I'm not sure if it's fair or an apples-to-apples comparison with those two shows against WrestleMania 14 and this one. Because when we got to that era of WrestleMania, it wasn't just one headline match. Yeah, It was kind of multiple uh, main event-type matches, and both Mania matches with Taker had that added advantage of more worldwide markets having opened up. I do not have the exact number of domestic buys for this show, SummerSlam 2005, but it may very well be more than either uh, of those two WrestleManias against Undertaker. Now, Mania 14, which did 730, that was all domestic. Yeah. I'm kind of, I'm shocked that 25 had, so you know, almost 100,000 more than 26, considering like that 25 match, I think piqued a lot of casual viewers' interest. Uh, and then in 26, you had the added Bret Hart's return. So considering that, you know, what part did Bret Hart play in, in the pay-per-view buys for this SummerSlam show that 26 didn't get more than 25. 634,000 buys for SummerSlam 05 worldwide. Okay, worldwide, yeah, yeah but I don't know how many domestic yeah. of that were because, I mean, there was some worldwide buys. Uh, Justin brings up an excellent question about the WrestleMania 26 buy rate. The reason, at least what people theorize, is there was a UFC show the night before headlined by George St. Pierre, who was a huge deal at that time. And that put a dent in the mania buy rate, especially with Canadians, too, when you think Mm. about it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this has been kind of a fun deep dive, I think, on on a singular match. This is maybe something we should do more of in the future, just picking out a big-time match from the past and and looking at the full picture. If you guys have any that you want us to examine 
let us know on, on social media, at Top Rope Nation on Twitter, on Instagram. You can email us, topropenation at gmail.com, your suggestions. And, of course, if you're a patron of the show, there is a private forum over there, patreon.com slash Nation. You can also send us DMs on Patreon if you are a member. So any, any other closing thoughts that we didn't have a chance to talk about, fellas? I'll take this over Jeff Jarrett Layton down for the Hogan any any day of the week. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. This for is sure. why this comp- this is why this company's in the state it's in, brother. Uh, <laughs> as far as future recommendations go, listeners, please do not pick Hulk Hogan versus John Studd or anything with coach on commentary. <laughs> yes. Neither neither of those would be very fun. Yes, I agree. I fr- I'm sorry. I I know I'm the big commentary guy here. I always pay attention. It was stunning to me how much worse 2005 coach was than the coach of a couple years ago when they put him on the announce yeah. team. No, I, because, I noted it too when I was watching it. I thought he was he sounded pretty awful. I didn't write like down every, any quotes, but he was not good. Everything he said was just like nails on a chalkboard. It was like, why did you just speak? <laughs> yes. I don't mean to be a dick, but it was just awful. <laughs> like he didn't, he didn't have one good thing. And I don't think JR and Lawler liked working with them, quite frankly. I mean, JR, especially because he probably knew that they wanted Coachman to take his gig. <laughs> Maybe Vince was in his ear telling him not to speak because he was so bad. Maybe that's why he doesn't talk too often. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, all right, guys. Well, hey, if you haven't seen it again, definitely check out that Montreal promo from the week before SummerSlam. You will thoroughly enjoy it. Uh, we will be back later this week with a new show. As I said at the top of the broadcast, of course, please hit subscribe. Leave us the five-star ratings if you haven't already. We'd greatly appreciate it. And check out our friends over on the Blue Wire Podcasting Network. So with that said, this has been episode 164 of Top Rope Nation for Justin Joint and Kyle Ross. I'm Ryan Drosty, and we will catch you guys next time. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is back in action, and there's no better place to start wagering than our partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts.